The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Okay, good evening. Good evening. Like I said, my name is Drew. I'm the high school pastor, and I'm going to be uh, taking over for Danny for tonight, sharing the word. Um, My hope and prayer is that the word exhorts and encourages you, and if it does, by all means, come and find me afterwards, and if it doesn't, again, my name is Jared Burke, and it's so good. It's so good. Okay, Mark chapter 4. Um, we're getting into an incredible, incredible chapter. It's absolutely amazing. Um, there are a series of parables in here, and um, at the very end, it culminates, I guess you could say, with Jesus calming the storm. It's, it's an incredible chapter, and it's bookended by something that, m- that I think most readers might overlook. So I'm just going to start by reading the very first verse of Mark chapter 4, and then I want to point something out right away. Okay, here we go. Mark chapter 4, verse 1. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. This, because this chapter is so amazing, I would encourage you to read it and reread it throughout this week. But from the very get-go, something that stood out to me uh, is, is two-pronged. First, it's the ingenious nature of our Lord and Savior. First off, uh, he created the, the laws of physics. He understands how they work better than anybody else who's ever lived, certainly. And so he does two things. One, with the crowd surrounding him, kind of pressing in on around him, he thinks, how can, I, how can I get to a position where I can see everyone? And so what does he do? He gets on a boat and pulls away. He pulls away from the shore out onto the water so that everybody can see him. It's clever. It's, it's awesome. Secondly, uh, he needs to get into a position where everyone can hear him. Now, if you don't know this, sound actually tra- travels better over water than it does land. And so not only does the water kind of act as this new visual focal point for the whole crowd you know, to Jesus, but also it acts as this, I don't know, kind of natural uh, transmission help for the message that he's going to preach. Now, that's the first prong. The second prong is this. The chapter's bookended. And what I mean by that is, in the very beginning, when the crowd surrounds him, he gets on a boat, and then he pushes off into the shore, and then he teaches at the very end of the chapter, where do we find Jesus again? He's in the stern of a ship. He's in a boat again. And what's he doing in that boat? He's asleep. And then the storm comes up, and the disciples, filled with fear, in need of a savior, what do they do? They go grab Jesus. We need you, Jesus. We need your, your power. We need your uh, ability. We need you. We don't have what it takes to overcome what is in front of us, and so we need you to do it for us. And so how does the chapter end? With him teaching again, but not merely with his words, with his power. So in the beginning, he teaches, and it's through parables. It's veiled in a bit of mystery. And then somewhere in the middle, he gives a, an explicit explanation of the very first parable, kind of this master parable that gives us a paradigm of thinking through the rest of the parables. And in the very end, he teaches with power. 
He doesn't give them any new information by speaking it to them. He shows them, this is who I am. This is who you need. And thank God that you called on me because it's exactly, it's exactly how I was going to show up. So throughout the chapter, and I think tonight, the ways that he wants to teach us are threefold. One is he's going to challenge us intellectually. He's going he's gonna to invite us to think deeply about who we are, about what the scriptures say, and how they might transform our lives. Because what good is a scripture taught that isn't also transformative? If it doesn't change our lives, if it doesn't do anything to us, then what good is our listening? What good is our hearing? Secondly, he's just going to pull the veil back. He's going to pull the mystery away for some of us tonight, and he's going to explain very clearly, maybe through your humble servant, uh, what's going on in this chapter. And my prayer is that through those words also you might be transformed. For some of you, you're going to tune out completely. <laughs> and you're going to wake up at the very end and something's going to hit you like a bolt of lightning. And no new information is going to be taught to you except that God is real, that he has a plan for you, and that he's going to save your soul. He's going to do something miraculous in your family. He's going to call someone from dead to life that your fear isn't going to stand in the way anymore. The person who you've been praying for, their fear isn't going to stand in the way anymore because his power is going to ring out. His power is going to win. Amen? Okay. Let's, uh, let's, let's keep going. <laughs> okay, so we're going to be, like I said, in the very first parable, the parable of the sower. And as we do that, there might be some of you in here who are wondering like, what a parable even is and why Jesus might be teaching via this kind of vehicle. Well, a parable uh, is a glimpse into the unseen realm through the window of the scene. It's a glimpse into the unseen realm through the window of the scene. Parables use natural imagery, things that are uh, tangible, things that are familiar, things that, we, uh, that we've uh, kind of touched and felt ourselves to then give us insights, revelation into those things which we haven't and maybe can't touch or feel. Those things in the supernatural realm uh, then are described to us using uh, things in the natural realm. So for this reason, and because of the region that Jesus is in, he chooses the farmer and the seed. Uh, the region of Galilee, which is where he's teaching, um, was and still very much is a rural area. So not only um, are the people in the crowd, those people listening, even the disciples, very familiar with this image, but it's also very likely that there were probably some farmers there who had, who had physically cast seed themselves who are so familiar with this image that they could, they could remember the feeling of the seed in their hands. They could remember those times which they haphazardly cast seed outside of their field onto the path um, and maybe even regretted like, oh, man, I wish I was more strategic or whatever it may be. And so it's this imagery then that Jesus uses as a window into what's going on in the spiritual world. Okay, verse two and verse three. So... And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. The very first word is the word which gives us kind of this arc or this orientation towards the whole parable. The whole parable is about listening, the care in which that we need to take when listening, that when someone is speaking, that we should listen. And so, of course, no one is more excited to hear this message on listening than my very own wife. 
because sometimes, you know, just the listening isn't quite there for me, and I do my best, and I try real hard, but I hope that you guys are with me in being better listeners. What can I say? Okay, so this parable is all about listening. But what we find out as we get into this parable is that even though it's called the parable of the sower, um, the parable moves very quickly on from the sower himself, that we get very little information about it. But I don't want us to move on too quickly because I think there's a little bit of insight that we can glean uh, from just that short, uh, that, just that short verse. Um, here we go. Verse 3 says, again, Behold, the sower went to sow, and as he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road. Not much information at all. But I don't want you to miss this just as we're getting started. For the seed to land in any soil at all, what needs to happen? It needs to be sown. If the whole parable is about the hearing of the word, the intention of our minds, the posture of our hearts, and the importance of the way in which we receive the word, the responsibility of hearing the word certainly rests on the hearer. But like Romans 10.14 says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? While the parable is not mainly about the sower, we get very little information. Um, The seed still needs the sower to sow it. The seed still needs the farmer to cast it. In fact, the only way to guarantee that a seed doesn't grow is to keep it in your pocket. Now, there's a tough truth in there. The only way to guarantee that a seed doesn't grow is to keep it in your pocket. Now, if you're anything like me, you've wrestled with things like timing uh, because you probably have friends that have yet to believe in Jesus. And while you're praying for them, you're also hopefully looking for opportunities to share with them, opportunities where there might be an opening, a a, a slit in the door where you can kind of slide your foot in and talk about the love of Jesus. And so you wonder, if you're like me, about questions like, is this the right time? Is this going to be received well? Is is when I start talking, is it going to come out well? Well, there's one principle that um, I think it comes from 1 Corinthians 3, verses 6 through 7, that might be of some help. Paul's talking here, and he says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it. You see, Paul had been getting um, word that certain people were getting saved more, that certain people were baptizing other people more, and there was a little bit of competition forming among the people who were preaching the word. And so his response is, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. So I hope there's a little bit of encouragement there in that your job in, in, in casting the seed and sowing the seed isn't to make it grow. I want to take that pressure off right away, that God has always been the one responsible, and he's taken that responsibility uh, uh, full fold, that He is the one that makes things grow. And all he asks us to do, for those of us who want to sow in the room, cast the seed. Cast the seed, and I'll be responsible for the rest. Water the seed, and I will be responsible for the rest. So if the timing isn't right, or if it's not received well, maybe there's a strategy that I can give you that might be of some help. I can guarantee that if you use this strategy, it's going to be successful every time you cast the seed. Okay, so what's that strategy? 
Here it is. Be attractive. Be attractive. Now, I don't mean be physically attractive. Um, I don't mean be outwardly very beautiful, um, although some people who have used the flirt to convert technique, maybe they found some success there, but it hasn't been always successful. And um, what I'm thinking about more here uh, in developing a winning strategy on casting the seed, on sowing the seed, has to do more with a story that I heard recently. Now, the story was um, that this woman, who's, she's known for the way that she acts, the way that she carries herself. There's this unique thing about her. There's this kind of effervescent joy about her. And now it's so, it's so overt, this joy, that even the people that she interacts with can kind of sense it, certainly someone that she's worked with for a while. And her joy was so abundant to this person and obvious to this person that then she was posed the question, what makes you so joyful? In the, the times that we live in, in the place that we live in, in the, the market that we live in, certainly there are plenty of reasons to have the joy sucked out of your life. But for her, it seemed a little bit different. She just seemed a little bit different. And it inspired this acquaintance of hers to simply ask, what is it that makes you so joyful. And you know what is so much more attractive than beauty? Joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness. The fruits of the Spirit are the winning strategy that whenever, whenever you cast seed, if you cast it in this way, it will always accomplish some good. It will always accomplish some good and it might take time, and you might never see the benefit of it, but it will always accomplish some good, forever and always. Okay, let's keep going. Um, let's get into the soils now. I'm gonna read verses four through nine. Okay, so after the sower, verse four, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And finally, he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. This first soil is too hard-packed for the seed to penetrate. It lands and is immediately snatched up by the evil one. These are those poor souls who have, who have listened and yet remain unaffected, hardened to the penetrating truth and love of Jesus. Usually this is, this is because of one of two reasons. Either they have yet to have some merciful wound of the soul. A lot of people describe this as hitting rock bottom, where it seems like everything is falling apart. There's nowhere to turn except maybe the biggest answer to the biggest question. Maybe God is real. And it's in this moment that then A.W. Tozer would say that God refuses to use a man until he's wounded him deeply. 
Oh, may it be true of all of us that we might receive a merciful wound of the soul given by the Lord himself, and in doing so, receive the seed of faith so that we can be tremendously used by Jesus. Either it's because they haven't hit rock bottom yet, or maybe it's because they have. And it's because of these wounds that then they've resolved to hide themselves away, invulnerable and alone. And um, I think one angle that I think the Lord is moving in me right now is um, there might be aspects of, of people in here right now that you wouldn't describe yourself totally in this way, but maybe there's a part of your life, there's a part of your heart, there's a part of your soul that you've kept locked away for that reason, that you've wanted something or you didn't want something, and that thing happened or that thing didn't happen, and because of that, because of that deep wound, then you took that wound and you locked it away. You, you kept it hidden away from the Lord. Why? To keep it invulnerable, to keep it isolated, because it's easier to be numb. It's easier to have that thing locked away than it is to have it open, to be heard again. My prayer and my hope with you is that you would keep coming, that you would you would keep coming and receive the living water for your soul. Because the living water is what softens the soil. The living water is kind of what starts to churn it up and take hard-packed soil and turn it into, turn it into mud, that you would take the, the, the till of the word, that you would keep coming back and you would let the seed penetrate your soul. So it doesn't matter how satisfied you are in the world or hurt by it, how many mistakes you've made or deals you've done, the bare naked truth is that God wants you. It's, it's absolutely, absolutely true. And God isn't giving up on you. And so we, the family of God, aren't either. I hope you really like seeds because God is going to keep sending sowers your way. He's going to keep moving in you, so much so that by the time we're done with you, you're going to be swimming in seeds, that we're going to keep, um, uh, we're going to keep taking of the fruit of the Spirit, and we're going to keep loving on you. We're going to keep being gentle with you. We're going to keep being patient with you. We're going to keep being kind with you. We're going to be faithful to you. Our joy is going to saturate your footsteps as you walk in these doors and you walk back out again. We're going to keep uh, we're going to keep loving on you because God isn't giving up, so we aren't going anywhere either. Okay, the second soil is the rocky, shallow soil. Those who listen in this way are tough. They're tough because they understand the tremendous gift of grace. They understand that Jesus left his throne and descended to earth, that he, he shed any vestiges of divine royalty, to take on the form of a servant, and even lower, he became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God through Christ. These are the people that understand that. And they receive this truth with joy, but there's a problem. Because they look, look at the cross and they see salvation. But the cross isn't just salvation. The cross is an invitation. You see, the gift of the cross is also the cost of the cross. The exchange that the gospel offers 
is that you get Jesus's life instead of your own, not in addition to your own. You get it instead of your own, not in addition to your own. Those with rocky, shallow soil want Jesus's life, absolutely, but not at the cost of their own. Um, recently, I've been, I've been getting into plants. Um, uh, <laughs> do we have any plant fans in here? You grow a lot of plants? Good, great, okay. So if I get any of this wrong, come and find me afterwards. Um, but what I found in, in looking at plants and trying to care for plants uh, is that as they grow, uh, this thing can happen. They can get root bound, which basically just means uh, that as the plant grows in its pot, uh, it doesn't just grow above the soil, but its roots grow beneath the soil. And as it continues to grow, at a certain point, the roots will reach the edge of the container that it's in. It'll, it'll kind of hit that edge, and then they'll start to curl. And that's not a huge problem, but if you don't take care of it, they'll continue to grow, so much so that they'll start to tangle into each other, and they'll, they'll overlap, and they'll start, if, unch- if left unchecked, um, the, the root boundness of the plant can get so bad that it can actually it can choke itself, that it can, it can die as a result. Now, um, this wouldn't really be a problem because the, the fix is plain and simple. You just give it more room to grow. But that also poses a problem to some people because if you're like me, I have a plant in my office. I like this plant, but I don't want it taking too much space up. I don't want it taking over my whole entire office. I like the plant. I just don't want it taking up too much space. And I think some of us treat Jesus the same way. We like Jesus. He's great. And he feels in certain moments at certain times so good. And when I'm filled with fear, oh boy, do I need him. But the difference between Jesus being being a Lord and being a lifeguard is that Jesus gets to tell us what to do. He's not just sitting by the side of the pool while we play Marco Polo, waiting for us to call out for help. He has a purpose and a plan for us. He has things that he wants us to do so as to receive the blessing of partnering with the God of the universe and watching transcendent, eternal things take place. So the good news is that faith in Jesus is not like any other seed planted. Sure, he's definitely going to take over, but he doesn't, he doesn't just choke out everything else. Jesus provides what the world has promised but could never deliver. Jesus provides, he delivers on the promise that the world gave but could never actually deliver. Everything that we've been trying to nurture and grow outside of Jesus is found in him. So you can take your root-bound faith out of that little pot (laughs) and you can plant it somewhere that it can take over, trusting that your hopes and your desires, your dream, um, the security that you want, the peace that you want, that it's going to find its fullest fulfillment in Jesus alone not in any of those other plants. Okay, third soil. The third soil is the crowded garden. It's the seed which takes root and grows, but remains unfruitful. What's interesting is that the third and fourth soils are actually very, very similar. The seed is cast on them. It it penetrates below the surface, 
and there's, there's nothing in the way from those roots spreading out. But where the difference lies is above the surface. When it tries to grow out and produce fruit, it can't because it's choked out by other plants, by, by other thorns. Um, there's a, a, a Holocaust survivor named uh, Cornelia Tenboom. Uh, most people know her by Corrie Tenboom, who during World War II harbored hundreds of Jews to protect them from arrest by Nazi authorities. She famously said this, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. If the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Why? How could busyness and sin have anything in common? Well, the result of sin and the result of busyness is the same. They both cut you off from God. They both take your attention off of God. And when your attention isn't on God, you won't hear his voice. You won't respond to his voice. And you won't see the opportunities to grow and to minister. The convicting reality for me, standing on this stage, is that I think this is where most of us listening right now are. I think this is where we, we wrestle maybe the most. If I could tell you, church, this is, this is definitely where I wrestle the most, that there, there's no shortage of, uh, of people that I want to be with. There's no shortage of people that I want to, to pray over and to minister to. There's no shortage of opportunities uh, that I want to take advantage of. There's no shortage of things that, that vie for my attention, that vie for your attention, for your focus, and for your time. And it's so easy to get so busy. And when we're busy, we're ineffective. See, there's a difference between being busy and being diligent. Being diligent means that you're, you're concerned and your, your, uh, your effort is directed towards the important things. Being busy just means that you don't have time for anything else. May you and I both be people who are described by our diligence and not by our busyness, not by the sweat of our brow, but by the, the effort that we lean into the Holy Spirit and partner with what he's doing and inviting us into. There's two strategies that I've employed that may help you here. The first one is this. You can't please everyone, but you can choose who you disappoint. You can't please everyone. And maybe that's just the truth for you. <laughs> Forget about the second part. We just need to come to grips with the reality that we can't please everyone, that you are a human being with limits and with boundaries. And at a certain point, you're going to, to disappoint someone. You're going to frustrate someone. You're not going to be there for someone. And so the choice isn't whether or not you can make everyone happy, because that's already been decided. You can't. The choice is you can choose who you disappoint. You can choose who you disappoint. To put it in another way, um, uh, because you will invariably disappoint someone, don't let it be the people that God has made your first ministry, that God has made your first ministry. If you have any questions about that, the, the very first and only advice that I'm going to give you is think about your nights and weekends. Where are those going? Second bit of advice that I can give you to fight the battle, to try to get the upper hand in the battle of busyness, is to ask someone who loves Jesus and loves you to check your blind spot. Ask someone who loves Jesus 
and loves you to check your blind spot. Why? Because the goal isn't to add something to your busy schedule, but to make a trade for something better. I'm not coming up here trying to get you to figure out where you've got more time in your life. I know that you're stretched thin. I feel it myself. And so the goal isn't to add something, but rather to make a trade and exchange for something better. Here's a couple baby steps that you can take. The question that you ask that person would simply be this. Is there something that I could dial back or eliminate? Which those are in a, in a culture that values productivity and and going, and those people who seem the most busy then are automatically associated with being the most important. These are like, these are like bad words. <laughs> Dial back or eliminate to free up a few hours in my week for Sabbath. Is there a way that I can do that? Maybe you would submit that first to prayer. And then secondly, you would submit that to someone who loves you dearly and that also loves Jesus. The second question in similar fashion would be, is there a way that I can dial back or eliminate something so that I can free up 20 minutes each day to check in with God and read? Very simply. And in doing those two things, I think you'll have a, a whole lot of headway on gaining the upper hand um, against the battle of busyness. Okay, let's, let's close this thing down with the fourth and final soil. Um, I'm going to re- remind you of what verse 8 says, since it's been a while since we've been there. Um, These seeds, these other seeds, fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing, yielding 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. See, this is the the good soil, and it doesn't really need much teaching. But one thing that's always bothered me in reading this parable is what happens immediately after. Because he says, let him who has ears hear. And then verse 10, verse 10 says this. And when he was alone, those around him uh, with the 12 asked him about the parables. They didn't get it. They didn't understand. So he says, this is, you know, it's kind of veiled in mystery a little bit. This is the parable. These are the soils. This is the good soil, which if anyone there present had the good soil, it most likely would have been the disciples, right? Those gathered with the disciples. And yet they didn't get it. They didn't understand so how can, how can they have the good soil? So, so what does Jesus do? He doesn't say the parable all over again. He pulls the veil back and explains it explicitly. Here's what's going on. Here's everything that you need to know. There's no more he who has ears, let him hear. There's no more mystery. There's no more, uh, I hope you get it. He pulls the veil back. Why does he do that? I've always wondered. And I think there's, there's two keys There's two keys in this. The first key um, simply is this. It's in the final soil. These are the ones who have humbly received the seed, have let it take root, and finally have prioritized their schedule around Jesus at the center, not just sprinkled in. But I think there's one more thing um, that makes this soil most fertile. I mean, the fourth soil's description definitely describes the disciples, but there's, there's this one more thing. A little bit after he teaches these parables, he starts performing these wild miracles. In fact, one of them, he feeds upwards of 5,000 people. He feeds all of them. So there's this huge crowd gathered around him, pressing in on him, looking to him for leadership, looking to him for provision. 
And so what does he do? He gives them the hardest, most offensive, confusing, and frustrating teaching that quite possibly he gives through his entire three years of ministry. To, uh, in response to this teaching, John 6, verse 66 says this, from this time, in response to that teaching, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. It was that brutal. They were offended, and they were confused, and they were frustrated. And so what did they do with all of those feelings, with that, that gap that existed then between their understanding and what God was doing in their life, their understanding, their comprehension of what God was doing and, um, and his teaching to them. But what about those with good soil? What did they do? They were also, of course, offended, frustrated, confused, probably a little bit hurt. It seemed pretty anticlimactic to have this huge crowd, this a huge miracle, and then to give this really hard teaching that then drives all of these people away. And so Jesus turns to them and asks, what about you? What are you going to do with your hurt? What are you going to do with your offense? What are you going to do with your confusion? And what are you going to do with your frustration? And this is what they say. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. They stay. I think this is the final key to understanding what it means to be of good soil, what it means to have good soil. And how do you know that the seed of faith is alive in you? The same way that you know your children are alive. They bug you. The same way that you know your children are alive, they expect you to take care of them. They, they ask you for things. And when they, don't, when they don't understand, when they're confused, when they're frustrated, what do they do? They don't let you breathe until you've answered all of their questions, until you've tended to their needs. Beloved, may it be true of you as well that you, to your Father in heaven, may you be utterly dependent upon him. May you bug him May you go to him with every need, with every frustration, with every bit of confusion until he makes good on the promise to make all things work out for the good for those who are called according to his purpose. The frustrations that you carry, the hurts even, bring back to him over and over again until he's born fruit from them. The wisdom that you need to navigate life Beg and plead him for it until the fruit of wisdom is a familiar flavor. Our last slide for tonight simply says this. Ask him to do the gardening. Stay when it gets difficult, and he'll grow the fruit. He'll do it through the teaching that I alluded to earlier. It's the offensive one. It's the one where he, he says, if you want to Come after me. If you want to follow me, it's very simple. Eat my body and drink my blood. Why would he say that? Because it's through this miraculous provision that then he gives us everything that we need. He reveals that the good soil from the bad is how we respond to his body and his blood. His miraculous provision is for you. Would you accept it? and let him do the hard work 
of gardening in your life. Uh, the team's going to come out, and we're going to do a couple, a couple of songs, and we're going to ex- extend the invitation uh, for you to take communion. I don't know what struck a chord with you, but my hope and prayer is that there was something. Maybe it was through the veil of mystery that challenged your intellect. Maybe the veil was pulled back and away, and you saw Jesus a little more clearly. Or maybe you're just coming back to us from the Padres game. <laughs> I hope that God showed up powerfully for you, that there was some miraculous thing that he did in your life. There was some bit of fear that he overcame. There was some deep truth that he then illumined some dark part of your heart, mind, or soul with. And maybe, maybe you're here and you're thinking, I know someone. I know someone who's got some hard soil. And I've been praying for them for a while. And I, I, I want to pray with you for them now, because there, there's people in my own life, in my own family that I've, I'm praying for. And boy, the soil, the soil is hard. And so for yourself, or for your family, or for someone that you love, go to battle. Let's go to battle together. If you need communion, um, raise your hand, and the ushers will come out and give you some communion. If you want to come up and grab it from the front of the stage, that's totally fine, too. It's an open communion, which basically just means if you're a follower of Jesus, come and, uh, come and taste. Come and see the goodness of our Lord and Savior. Come and, and remember, pause, and remember that God gave his body and his blood so that you might be made whole. His body was broken so that his new body, the body of Christ, might be made whole. As, as the team sings uh, these songs and they lead these couple songs, um, I'm going to lead us in just a, a short prayer. I'm going to pray for those uh, who have in their life either parts in their own heart who reflect that difficult, hard-packed nature, or if there are people in your family or that you know that you desperately want prayer for them, um, even now, if you just raise your hand, if you're like, there's a part of me or there's someone in my family, there's someone that I know that there's some hard ground that needs to be broken up. Amazing. There's some hard ground that needs to be broken up and, and I want to lift them up in prayer. Amazing. Amazing. Okay, let's pray together. Father, you are good and we trust you. We trust you. We trust that you know exactly when, you know exactly how your spirit is going to come alive in them, that you're going to call them from death to life, that you're going to break the ground that their, car, that their callous heart has been overwhelmed by, that you're going to pour into them your living water, and then you're going to plant a seed of faith. Father, we pray that you would, you would give us the knowledge, the wisdom to know when the right opportunity is, that you would help us to be characterized by those beautiful fruits of the Spirit, that we would be the kinds of people who are so winning, not because of our, not because of our uh, eloquent language, not because, of our, uh, not because of our outward beauty, but because we look like you because we look like Jesus. That's who we want to be. 
We wanna, we wanna have that good soil so that we can produce the kind, of, uh, the kind of harvest, God participate in the kind of harvest that no farmer there in person had ever seen. The figures that you use are astronomical. They're mind blowing, they're off the charts. And it's you, Jesus, who said, it's better for you that I go. Why? Because I'm sending to you a helper and he will equip you to do far greater things far greater things than I ever did. So, so God, I know you've got big plans for the people in this room, the people that are, that are watching online, the people that are watching this as a recording. Father, you've got big plans for them, that there is, there is fertile ground in their life. And so, God, I pray that you would grow a, uh, a miraculous plant in them, that you would help them to draw near to you, that you help them be characterized by your, by your fruits of the Spirit, and that they would receive your love 10, 30, 60, 100 fold. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our midweek revive service held Wednesday evenings. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.